Hey, Cap fans, it's Rick here, and just wanted to give you a heads up. My microphone uh, had an issue while recording here, so it doesn't sound uh, as good as normal, but fear not, um, I do have it fixed for next episode, so just wanted to give you a heads up on that. So enjoy this uh, really fun and insightful conversation with the two writers of the Captain America Sentinel of Liberty series, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. This is Alana Smith, and you're listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to episode 91 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I am your host, Rick Verbonis, and alas, not as always, my best gosh darn partner, Bob Lucius, could not join us today. He's feeling under the weather, but he is here in spirit. He did help prepare for this opportunity to talk with our guests today. So you are going to have a three-person conversation. It's just not going to be Bob. Instead, we have two guests today. We have Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. And both of our guests are writers of, of books, of screenplays, and of course, comics. For DC, they've written stories starring Batman, Nightwing, Green Arrow, and for DC Digital, series like Gotham Garage and Genlock. And recently for DC, they've also been writing Batman Beyond, and they have a new series out, Aquaman and the Flash, Void Song. Uh, they've also recently worked on Harbinger for Valiant. And then last year, they broke into Marvel writing Kang the Conqueror miniseries and crushed it. But we're most excited to talk about their new Captain America series, Sentinel of Liberty. So welcome to the show, Jackson and Colin. Thank you so much. Hey, Rick, absolutely. Thank you for having us. Well, you guys have found your peeps. Uh, this is, uh, these are your, your people right here, Captain America fans. Awesome. We're excited. We're excited to be here. We, we've been Captain America fans our whole lives, so I feel like we're among you. Awesome. Well, you know, before we, we dive into, maybe we could start with a little bit about how the two of you met and, and how you broke into writing comics. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The story is, uh, the story can be very long. So we're going to do the nice little like truncated version so we can get to what people really want to know about. But uh, Colin and I uh, met in college. We were both at USC, uh, the University of Southern California. I was mm -hmm. in the uh, film program uh, as a directing uh, student and Colin was in the screenwriting program. And uh, we met through a mutual friend, David Server, who put us together and uh, we were immediately like oil and water. We, uh, did not uh, really get along. I liked Colin fine. He was not uh, a I, fan of this. I, I really, I really could not stand the man. Honestly, <laughs> uh, he had all these very, uh, he had all these opinions which were very smart, and everyone always thought they were so clever. And his writing was good, which is very frustrating because I insisted on being the best writer in any group we hung out with. Uh, so it was really kind of a uh, a frisson a, a, a on my end in looking at someone who was just too close to who I was, uh, which yep. was a, kind of a, an oil and water, as Jack points out. But then eventually we were in a writing group together and we really got a chance to start reading each other's stuff. And rather than being grumpy and butthurt about it, uh, I read Jack's work and it was this wonderful kind of character oriented, um, you know, very personal kind of work which really wasn't something I was doing at the time well because I was reading Colin's work and it was this like huge blockbuster 
Michael Bay, like madness um, kind of stories. And, and I genuinely the kind of thing that I didn't know you could write. Um, I was always uh, so focused on like little tiny plays. Uh, and I found myself, but it was the stuff that I was a big fan of. Uh, and so I became really enamored with his work. He became really enamored with my work. We became really good friends. And then when we graduated, we went on a road trip together out to Lollapalooza. Um, we just drove across the country for a few days, drove back after the festival. And um, on our way back, on our way there, because the middle of America is very uh, broad and filled with empty spaces, uh, there's not a lot to see in a lot of it. And so we just ended up making a lot of conversation between the two of us. And because it's the two of us and because we're both writers, we ended up talking about story a lot. And we came up with a movie on the way there that we outlined effectively by hand and then wrote in a hotel room on the way back, um, we ended up about a day ahead and we split a computer and um, tried to write as much of it as we could. And neither of us had really collaborated like that before. We collaborated in ways, I've written a comic book with David Server, the guy who, who you know, introduced us. Um, but this was like a whole different thing. We wrote like 80 pages in a single day and they weren't terrible. And we were like, what's happening here? Like, this is yeah, what kind of magic is and this so that's going on? <laughs> Yeah, and so we came back and, and sort of tried to see if we could apply that professionally, and uh, the rest is history. And, yeah. and, and here you are. And it, and it should be said that uh, a lot of that kind of friendship was baked and made uh, pulled together by our weekly Wednesday comic book runs. Uh, there was one car between the three of us, uh, so we'd pile in and we'd drive out to our local shop, which was across town. Uh, we'd get our comics. We would... Thanks, Dave. Thanks, David. Uh, we'd stop, we'd eat the greasiest pizza possible and just holler at each other about continuity, uh, which all too often revolved around Captain America. Um, he was a character that, as Jack pointed out, we, we absolutely loved. We were reading Young Avengers at the time. We were reading all of this stuff. Uh, and it was really, uh, it was just formative in terms of building up our storytelling sense uh, so that Jack and I could really have that shared creative language that we built out of comic books so when we pivoted to being actual creative partners um, we shared a lot of that storytelling dna basically because we'd spent so much time arguing with each other which <laughs> spoiler alert is effectively how this relationship works all right well so as a former comic book store owner i uh, i had to cringe when you said the greasiest pizza ever i'm hoping that was after you picked up your comics and yes yes before. of course okay. yes we, we, would, we would get the books, we would read whatever was like really on the foremost of our brain, like probably before we left the shop, like we'd like buy them and then just read them. And then we would go, you know, whatever came out that week. I remember at the time, like Ultimate Spider-Man was kind of at its peak and like the Brubaker Captain America run was like at its peak. Like there was just some really great stuff going on. And so we would get together and just dial in on that stuff together, which was a blast. Very nice. Now you, you mentioned you, you split a computer. I, so that takes me to really my next question. And, and for, for listeners who have not maybe heard of how the two of you work together, mm -hmm. can you take us through how the process works? Because, you know, I'm familiar with when I see two writers, I go, oh, okay, well, one person was the plotter and the other person was the scripter. But, you know, I don't know. How does that work with you guys? Yeah, not like that. Um, we... <laughs> Our, our process is um, kind of very similar to how it's always been uh, when before we were writers, which is we when we attack an idea, uh, we will start stress testing it and we will start coming up with the craziest stuff and we'll effectively generally sit across the table from each other and just talk. Um, we'll just bullshit and we'll find the ideas that are cool and the ideas that are great. Some of our ideas will be terrible. And then you got the other guy sitting right there saying, that's not a good idea. 
which is great. You have a second brain to instantly start stress testing every single thing that kind of crops up until we eventually settle on a story that we can kind of both agree on as being awesome. And sometimes that takes a while. You know, sometimes we do need to go a little hammer and tongs because what is good can be very subjective. But the great thing is between the two of us, even if one of us doesn't see it, that then stress tests the other guy in order to try and develop, well, here's what I'm actually trying to say. And if I can get Jack on board with my crazy idea, I know anybody can get on board with it and vice versa. So it's a real great gate in terms of creating. And then from a process perspective, that'll turn into an outline that's normally written by one of us um, based on notes that we both take during those sessions. We don't like sit there and take notes while we talk. We'll finish and then we'll be like, all right, great, let's get that on paper. And we'll get that on paper normally before we leave a session because we don't want to lose anything. Um, It's not like we record these sessions. um, So, you know, because we want to be able to just like speak freely and and feel like we can say whatever. Yeah, we don't want any evidence. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, with no evidence left behind. Exactly. And then um, we'll write up an outline. That outline will get shared between the two of us. Uh, depending on what that outline needs to be, that might be the outline that goes to the, to the I was going to say the network because we do a lot of TV stuff, but like might go to whoever, right? It might go to whoever we're, we're trying to get to approve us. So in comic books, our editor. And then um, that outline, once it's approved, okay, great. Now it's time to split up that outline and turn it into comics. Normally we'll have already broken out which issue is which, issue one, issue two, issue three, et cetera. And so then we will take those and we'll do what we call a pagination, um, which is basically we'll go in and we will assign pages across the board. We'll be like, okay, so this outline, this beat probably needs one page. This beat probably needs two or three pages. It'd be really awesome if we could do a double page spread on this beat, whatever, right? We'll sort of figure that out together and just talk that through. And that normally doesn't take very long because we have a very shared instinct on that uh, stuff now. So that tends to only take a few minutes really, unless it's like a very particularly like difficult project um, or one that that we feel like needs to uh, sort of be built from the ground up like that. But we otherwise, we have kind of a style that we we tend to lean on and we build that out. And then we split that up in half. And so half of that script will go to Colin and half of that script will go to me. Um, he'll write pages for like a 20 page comic. He'll write pages one through 10. I'll write pages 11 through 20, or I will write one through 10. He'll write 11 through 20. We'll just, we'll literally ask each other, like, what do you want to write? Like, what about this is more exciting for you? And then whichever, you know, we'll generally have a passion for at least one scene that we really want to be the people to, to, you know, the first draft guy on it. And then we'll do those drafts. We'll trade, we'll rewrite one another. Um, sometimes a lot, sometimes not at all. And then we'll have a script. Uh, and, and generally that's how any given script by us, uh, turns out it gets split in half, it gets worked on individually, and then it gets, uh, polished together by, by both of us together. So, so based on, on your earlier time, earlier days in your creative writing classes, do you guys still have those tendencies? Colin, are you still the big idea guy? And, And Jack, you're more of the, the, the intimate kind of story character thing? Not not really. We used to kind of make that joke, um, but with every year that passes, like every writer is full of multitudes. You know, Jack was writing smaller stories because that's what he can produce, you know, being kind of from the background that he was. I was writing giant stories because no one told me I shouldn't. Um, So it's like once we reach this level, uh, I think, no, we're we're passionate about everything. Some of the most bitching stuff that uh, anyone is going to read of us is, you know, maybe that was written by Jackson and some of the most heartbreaking stuff. Hey, maybe that was written by me. The cool thing is by the time, you know, a comic script takes two, three, maybe four passes to get right. Generally by the time we're actually at a final, you know, 
air quotes, shooting script, right? The actual thing that's going to go off to the artists. I can't remember who wrote what. Like, we've really developed a singular voice at this point. So if Mm -hmm. you go back and look at an issue and say, hey, Jack, was this your line? We don't, who knows? We don't remember anymore. It's, yeah, honestly, it, who knows? Like, uh, most of the time, it's it's just, it becomes an R line, which is why we refer to ourselves as a hive mind. It's not just like a branding exercise. Mm-hmm. We, we talk about the hive mind because people aren't really used to two writers operating as a single unit in comics. They're, um, th- those are very, very few and far between. Uh, and generally, they are two big writers who've been teamed up on something. Uh, or they're two writers who are very individual who've been teamed up on something. Um, and they'll have their own processes. A great example of this is like Tim Seeley and Tom King on Grayson, right? Tim and Tom were co-writing that book, but really all that meant was they were co-plotting that book and then they were trading issues. And there were Tim Seeley issues and there were Tom King issues. And I think you can kind of see the difference between those issues. They're both great writers, but they have individual voices. And you can really tell a Tom book from a Tim book. Um, ours, uh, we don't really work like that anymore. Like I, I yeah. can tell a Colin line from a Jackson line and I think he can tell a Jackson line sure. from a Colin line um, in a first draft. But after that, I, I, I dare anybody to be like, oh, that's a column line. Except yeah. if it's like a really specific joke. If you like know us and you're like, oh, I, that's, a, that's something Jackson would think is funny or like whatever, then maybe you might catch it. But otherwise, yeah, I, I think we're, we're, we really are like a singular entity as far as like writing is concerned. And very rarely do we operate individually anymore just because that's how we've been doing it for over a decade. We're just kind of used to it now. But the joke answer is that uh, I'm the right hand and Jack is the left hand and we just sit next to each other. And then that's, <laughs> that's, that's how it works. Very nice. Don't try, don't try that at home, young writers. Uh, uh, so in some past interviews, um, you know, Jackson, I, 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 there's a quote of you saying, with any hive line story, it all starts from character. And, and since character is such a, a fundamental place to start good story, storytelling, how would you describe Steve Rogers, Captain America, and, and what are his essential attributes, maybe his qualities, his weaknesses? And then what is it about those essentials that make his story interesting even after you know, 80 years? Yeah. So Steve, to me, um, is obviously a man who contains an enormous, uh, contains multitudes, and, and, and as a result, when you approach him, you don't write by saying, who is Steve Rogers? Because I think if you just come in on it and you're like, who is Steve Rogers? Story doesn't really develop from that. What I mean to say from a story comes from character is that a story comes from character need, from character want, and from character conflict. And so generally what our stories do is they start from a place of trying to identify what this character needs, what stage they are in their life, and now because if I, if you ask me who is steve rogers it could take me a hundred years to like tell you everything that steve rogers is because this is a character who has as you say 80 plus years of actual publishing history and then 80 plus years of actual living history right in his own continuity so there's so much of the 104 years of like in universe continuity like it's wild so from us what we do is we sit down and we say what does this character need now so do not avoid your question in terms of Sentinel of Liberty and where we find Captain America at the beginning of our run, what we really discovered was a man who had been for a very long time living inside the suit. He had been living as the shield, not as a man. He had been, even from our favorite runs, going back to like Brubaker, 
he was living in, yes, he was living in a city surrounded by other people, but his house was big holographic hidden bunker, uh, you know, that no one knew about. So it wasn't like he was a man with community outside of the superhero uh, community. He was a man who was fundamentally apart. Um, and this is coupled with the, the sort of all-time things about Steve Rogers, like he is a man out of time. He is a man who doesn't entirely fit in with like society anymore. He's also a man who is by and large the quote unquote best of us. Like he is a, he, he demonstrates um, it, decency and goodness because he comes from a really underprivileged um, situation. He comes from being the smallest guy around. He comes from being a poor man. He comes from being uh, a, a man surrounded by the Great Depression, surrounded by the, the, the height of World War II. This is a man who knows what it's like to go through struggle and then was empowered. And so he has this, you know, he, he has this amazing moral compass coupled with this amazing physical ability to back it up. But what he doesn't have is a life, like a human real life. He doesn't have people in his life. He has a girlfriend, but his girlfriend is also his crime fighting partner. And she's also probably the most volatile aspect of his life. He has one really close friend in Bucky Barnes who is in and of itself himself, I think a very complicated figure and one who, um, Steve projects a lot onto Bucky that might not actually be there or that might be more complicated than Steve imagines. Um, Steve was in a space where it, it felt really necessary to ground him in community, to ground him in people, and to remember what it meant to be Steve Rogers. And then once we had that, once we looked at that as a character standpoint, you're like, okay, well, now we're going to tell a story about a man who's just living in a, in a, in a, apartment in lower Manhattan. It's not much of a comic book story. It's a really great story. It sounds fun. We, we love to write it, but you got to get him into the Captain America suit. At some point, it's a Captain America book. So how do you turn that into a superhero book? Well, great. Once you've engaged with what Steve Rogers needs, what Captain America needs is to really reckon with the legacy of his, uh, of his shield, of his um, uh, legacy as a, as, as, a, as a character, and as a, a, as a man who's made... Um, a lot of decisions, including the decision to to save his best friend Bucky using the Cosmic Cube and like deprogram him from his Winter Soldier time. Uh, this is a man who really needs, um, now that he's able to slow down, to reflect and reckon and really understand what being Captain America means. Um, yeah. And we had such a great opportunity to engage with that, especially with Tochi Onyebochi taking um, Sam Wilson to that new height of Captain America and really being the public face of that, it gave Steve a chance to really think about what the shield meant to him, what the legacy meant to him, and what having a life would mean to him. Um, and so that's what I mean when I say our stories come from character. We look at what the character requires, um, what we feel like the character is missing in their life, and what we imagine they don't even know they're missing in their life, right? What they want and what they need, which are just dramatic stress test that we put everything through. And then we look at how a plot might supplant, uh, uh, support that, supplant that, bring that out, um, grow that seed into a tree. Yep. <laughs> Colin, <laughs> Colin's like, what he said. What he said. No, I mean, Jack hits it on the head. I think the key is like, Steve has been, Steve has, Steve has been in uniform, but he hasn't been wearing the uniform. He's been the uniform. Now, after the events of United States of Cap, he kind of sees the world. He sees what he's been missing, and he remembers what it's like to just be a person trying to do the best without powers. And I think that really clicked with him and unwoken his, uh, awoken his humanity to a certain degree. So now he's looking at what it means to be Steve Rogers. And if once you're Steve Rogers, that means you're not just being the suit. You need to put on the suit. 
And now he's looking at that and asking himself, well, what does the suit really mean? What does the symbol really mean? What does the shield really mean? So basically we want him, he's entering into an age, into a time of introspection. Um, and we also really just, when you look at it, he's a member of the greatest generation. I think folks who read our, you know, have read issue one realize that with the radio company, we're introducing a bunch of people who can kind of actually talk to him at his level um, because, you know, we're so cap as Jack points out, is the best of us in a lot of ways. There's something for every generation to kind of see in him someone to aspire to be. But he's got jokes that no one gets. Like He is a man out of time, and it was really important to not just give him new friends in contemporary Manhattan, but also to find him a group of people who can speak the language where he doesn't have to pretend that he's hip. He doesn't have to be cool so that Natasha doesn't make fun of him. Like, he can talk about his bunions, right? Mm-hmm. He can talk about the stuff that only older folks understand. Because even though he's fit as hell, man's a hundred and what? I don't four, know his exact hundred and four. Yeah, pretty like, pretty sure hundred and four. Yeah. He's got complaints, right? Yeah, you know that was a great part. I mean, uh, of issue one uh, of seeing uh, the, the the radio crew. I don't remember the title that you guys gave them, uh, the gang or whatever. Radio company. Radio yeah. company. Yeah. Um, that was kind of heartwarming to, to see that and some of the, the jokes that were going back and forth. Uh, and, and then the, you know, the, the letterer did a good job by kind of coloring the bubbles. So, you know, who, which, which of the, the, the people were saying different things and, and, the, and seeing them play amongst each other. Uh, it, it was, it was fun. It was fun seeing Steve with his contemporaries, but listen, it was great seeing Steve just be Steve. Uh, you know, we, we've been missing that to, to, to what you guys have pointed out. Um, you know, when you go back uh, to, to earlier writers like Roger Stern, you know, and, and J.M. DeMatteis, you know, they did an excellent job of giving Steve friends and, and not, not the super friends, right, that, that you mentioned Real before. normal people. Yeah. Like Mark Grunewald did an excellent job with the, with the super friends, but but it was those, you know, Stern and Demetrius that that gave him a civilian life. And so, in, in issue number one, we get to see his new neighbor Amari, um, and then you, you introduce the the art students, right? Uh, Mia, David, and Hudson, um, and and that that was that was great seeing that. I mean, it was it was fun. I mean, like, I'm a Steve guy. Now, don't get me wrong, love Sam Wilson. I'm going to read that book, but you know. I'm a Steve guy. And to me, if someone ever asked me, who was your favorite fictional character of all time? I don't tell them Captain America. I tell them Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers. Yeah, bud. And that's, humor is so important. Like Steve is funny. It's not like funny, haha, but he's funny, charming. And he's got jokes. They're grandpa jokes, but they're (laughs) jokes. And it was really important for us to bring that home. Uh, We actually, you know, as you kind of pointed out in your intro for us, we're pretty new to Marvel. happy to be here but one of our first meetings on this we sat down and tom brevoort actually which yes just getting notes from tom brevoort continues to be amazing um but he told us that when we move forward with this we need to not just have it be super people having super talks right this isn't just superhero soap opera you need real people to ground the story so that we understand what it is to be super heroic and it's such a small note but it's so smart and once well, you get I, that note, i want to i want to i want to jump on that it, yeah, it sure. wasn't tom's note to give him friends 
We came in with give him friends. Sure. What Tom's note was, was he has to save people, which I thought was a really specific note that felt really interesting to give in the context of superhero comics, because like, of course, but it's very easy when you're writing, um, especially in the Marvel canon, I think because we are such Marvel nerds and the Marvel universe is so embedded and it is such a soap opera, it's very easy to forget that these are at their core rescue workers and that that aspect of them rescuing people was really important. So there was a sense of, um, as, our, as our plot kicks in and as you start to get a sense of what we're actually doing and the ramifications thereof, there are a lot of superheroes who would have something to say about this and will, especially by the second arc. But it's been deeply important to keep in mind that there need to be genuine stakes outside of things a superhero didn't know or things that reframe the world the way the superhero would imagine it. They need to be people at risk who can be saved. And it doesn't necessarily mean Steve's friends. Steve's friends are not victims to be saved all the time. There's, I think we, we play an interesting version of that that you'll see within the first run. But, uh, but it, is, it was, it was uh, Tom really blew my mind with that note because it's like the most, it seems like the most obvious note in the world. Of course, superheroes should be saving people, but it is wild how easy it is to forget that when you're writing in the Marvel universe and when you just want to have Steven, you know, I don't know, Black Widow have a conversation for 20 pages. And it's like, no, no, remember the rescue workers, they got to do their job. They got, they got to inspire, they got to stand out there. Yeah, yeah I, I would love to see those notes. Uh, we, we, had, we had Tom on the show, he's, he's great. Uh, I he's guess the I, most brilliant, he's just the most brilliant person. Yeah, I think and did he tell you the story of how, how he got tricked into, being discussed with Ed Brubaker on on having Winter Soldier come back. Not only that, when we started our run, when we came in with our outline that the 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 you know we sent our pitch to Alana and it was like the craziest pitch we could imagine for Captain America, one we held on to for for for, for several years, just as something that like if they ever came to us with Cap, this is what we'd want to do with no understanding that we would ever get to write Captain America, right? Yeah, you know, if I ever moved to the moon, here's what I'd want to do. <laughs> right. But then they but then they were like, hey, do you want to go to the moon? And it was like, I mean, sure. Like and they and they said, like, you, you're probably not going to get the job, but you should you should pitch this because like who knows who at Marvel will see what you've done and, and people liked Kang. So like you should try this out. And so we and we're like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And so we pitched this crazy idea. And we'll be back right after this short break. And when we finally got the gig several weeks later and several documents later and lots of notes and calls and stuff later when we finally were like we are going to be writing captain america sentinel of liberty uh tom got on the phone with us and said look when when brubaker did winter soldier i asked him a hundred questions and he had to answer all my questions and that's how i knew that it would work what you guys are doing has similar ramifications so i'm going to ask you a lot of questions and I am going to make sure that you can answer all those questions or we can't do this. And that maintains to this day, like anytime Tom is like, we still get this where it's like, Tom will come in and be like, well, how does this work? Like, why exactly is this happening? And you're like, okay, like we know this in our heads, but if that's not on the page, we got to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And we all know what's going on. So it's a, um, he's a really incredible person to work with because um, as I think a lot of writers who work with him will tell you, uh, he is not, he's a, he is scant with his praise and he is specific with his feedback. So if Tom ever comes back to you and says, this is good, you like, even if it's just like, 
I like this. Like, it's not like, again, he's not going to write how much he likes it. There's not going to be exclamation points everywhere. He's going to be like, this works. If Tom Brevoort says this works, you like (laughs) do a little dance and fucking run around your apartment because you're just thrilled that like you got there, right? And you know that he has the taste to back that up. Like he's edited more of my favorite comics than I can imagine. Um, So we're still a little starstruck to be working with him. It's pretty rad. So, so let's get to that pitch, right? So uh, when we had Alana on the show, she shared about your pitch and how she was just like, she's like, well, these guys didn't aim small, right? Like, like, ah. it, it, and her quote was, you know, she, she said, immediately my brain was on fire uh, and, and how much she loved it and how great it was. Um, she then, she then went into your full pitch detail by detail and explained the next year's worth of stories but perhaps maybe you could share them in your own words. Uh, <laughs> you're making a good joke. Oh, no. But she did say... You, you, you almost got... You saw both of our faces. Uh, you <laughs> saw both of our faces drop there for a second. Yeah. Um, she, no, she, she did say you, you accomplished what she was hoping for, which was expanding the Cap universe, uh, you know, talking about it, making Captain America a destination again possible spinoff books so so can you give us just a little glimpse into into what that pitch was like and 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 why her brain was on fire sure um yeah i mean i can start just by reading you the first three lines of the pitch uh because they are not a spoiler anymore and we'll tell you kind of how we walked into this like this was how we opened our pitch The shield is one of the most iconic images in the world. It stands for hope, justice, and the protection of the innocent. It also holds a secret, undiscovered until now, that will change the way Captain America views the 20th century and how he chooses to fight in the 21st. We did not aim low. We came in and said, we're going to change stuff. We're going to blow it away. We're going to recontextualize Captain America's mythos, and we're going to find a way to drive it forward. Our objective was nothing less than trying to come in and do an iconic run of character which is an absurd objective on a character as iconic as Captain America. But if you don't aim at the sky for this, I, I, I felt like if we just did another um, Red Skull story, we would be doing the character a disservice because that is not what he needs right now. So we came in with the objective of um, effectively bringing almost like a national treasure element to Captain America's shield and to Captain America's mythos, to understanding that there is um, there are secrets that have been hidden in plain sight. I want you to be able to see a person in a Captain America uh, t-shirt and be like, I know the secret meaning of that. And the idea that there is a secret meaning of that symbol and that it is something that can be diagrammed and understood and can be built out and can generate a century of history. Um, that's where we started and then finding a way to apply that to character and eventually hang it on a real um, step forward in the relationship between Bucky Barnes and Captain America, uh, Steve Rogers, um, to take Steve and Bucky and put them through um, something that truly tested their friendship Mm -hmm. and uh, revealed the true character of both men that was our aim and objective. Um, and yeah. we didn't shy away from it, mostly because we never thought they'd do it. We never thought in a million years they'd do it. 
So we just aimed at what we thought would just be the coolest, most wild, most, I mean, for lack of a better term, this is, this is a pun, but you won't understand why yet, game-changing take on Captain America, and then really try to, like, take it from there. <laughs> Colin's rolling his eyes. That's okay. Yeah. That's the partnership. He knows, he knows the pun. Um, but I think also something Alana said there at the start is 100% true. New characters and new stories. Um, we we love remixes as much as everyone. Um, I One day we will write Captain America punching Red Skull in the face and it will feel so good. But our point here is to create a new suite of villains, a new problem that he's never seen before um, to really challenge not just him as a superhero, but him as a man and his own perception of who he has been. Because we, Jack and I, were able to find pieces within the Marvel continuity where we could tell a story. And sometimes there are those you can kind of tiptoe to through the, the raindrops and see where a story exists that no one has touched. And that is what we found. Something that we can weave into the history of the Marvel Universe that has been there the whole time. And that, I think, is what Alana, what lit her hair on fire. Because there's a story that seems like it was just waiting to be told. And we're the ones who cracked it open. She also loves Bucky to pieces right. mm-hmm. and the story we are telling to between camp between cap and and buck is important um it's going to be heavy for both of them but jack and i know what it's like to really kind of not only confront not only work with your best friend but also end up on different sides of an argument and that stuff can be heavy and that can be real uh, and that is one thing that we do not want to do ever with our characters which is make things easy for them uh Easy is bad for drama. So, you know, you're talking about changing some things uh, and it it sounds like a a really big story. And and I think I, you know, there's, after you read issue number one, uh, you know a little bit about there is this mystery behind the shield. You know, fans can be pretty critical in case you you didn't know that. Interesting. Interesting. (laughs) Oh, really? Uh, Especially when it comes to beloved characters. And so they can be a little unforgiving um, if creative teams take liberties. So, how do you prepare yourself for that, uh, for that, you know, because talk to Nick Spencer, talk, talk to, you know, uh, various cap writers from, from the last 10 years. Um, how, how are you prepared for that? Oh, I don't, I don't need to talk to Nick. I, I can talk to Captain America at Disneyland, who literally, when he discovered the guy playing Captain America, looked at me and he, he, he learned that I, I wrote the comics. I think my friend who was with me was like, he writes the comics. And he turned to me and said, don't make me a Nazi again. And I, <laughs> uh, and I said, you got it, Cap. Um, truth, truthfully, uh, I, I don't think it is in the writer's tool book for us to make decisions based on fan reaction. And that isn't to say that we don't hope that fans love what we're doing and that we don't think that fans will dig it. I think they will. I think the reviews of Captain America number one have been overwhelmingly positive. We've been really happy to see people respond to our take. If you like where one goes, I think you will like where the rest of the book goes. I think we are hinting pretty strongly at what we're doing and the tone and the objectives. Um, But if you don't, if people hate the left turns that we take um then they hate the left turns that we take but we are we are fans we are dedicated to this character we have done an enormous amount of research uh, 
just by living our life as, you know, constantly reading Captain America fans. But then when we got the book, we also went back and reread the character's publishing history. <laughs> like we don't take this in any way lightly and we're in no way trying to run roughshod over any story that's been told. Um, we just want to tell the next story and hope that people are on board to hear it. And I think that's an important way of putting it too, is the next story. I don't think that we are telling a Colin Jackson story. Like we are presenting this in our way, but as Jack pointed out at the start of this, like this is the story that Cap needs right now. This is the story that he needs to move forward as a man and as a hero. And I feel like we're just kind of giving it legs and giving it voice. Um, But we're going to stand by our art. You know, this is the story we want to tell 100%. It's the story that Alana and Tom and everyone has gotten on board with. We genuinely hope the fans do too. And I think they will. I think, I think the pages are full of respect. Uh, and if anyone does want to um, have a chat with us, we're available on Twitter. <laughs> so let's talk about issue one and a part that I think, you know, most people did love. And, and that was um, taking Steve back to his old apartment where he lived with his mom in the 1930s. And it was uh, just a, a beautiful idea, number one. And then you have, um, you know, Carmen Carnero just knocking oh it out of the park, right? And she's drawing these panels beautifully, juxtaposing Steve's memories with the present reality. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, could you take, I guess, take us a little bit through the thinking that led to that scene and, was it portrayed just as you envisioned, you know, uh, the, you know, Carmen do it justice? Well, um, we, it was really important for us to send Steve, obviously he needed to, to move somewhere. He needed to live amongst the people somewhere. Um, New York is his city. So it made it, it was pretty clear to us that that's where we wanted to take him. And then when we started thinking about it, and I think, you know, in that process, we said, well, he's got to go home. And only then did we realize, no, that's not just emotional, that's literal. Like where we talked to Tom, we were like, Tom, where did he live? And he's like, oh, well, he lived uh, pretty much in this right little part of town and uh, in, in Southeast Manhattan. And we were like, awesome. What a weird place now. Like he's his little tenement. And, you know, New York is still filled with these old buildings that are effectively, you know, neglected and forgotten. Um, so putting him there in what is effectively one of the most, you know, points of power for for you know the american century uh was really interesting and cool and then getting to tell that story through carbon's juxtaposition because you know this was one of the first issues we'd written with her on captain america we actually worked with her uh you mentioned earlier gotham city garage uh she was one of our digital artists uh, for that book uh but knowing not knowing what she was going to be bringing to captain america we were a little trepidatious writing out a scene like the contemporary setting of the street is being juxtaposed by illusions and memories of the past. What is an artist going to bring to that idea? And then we start getting these pages and we realize that there's no need for concern because Carmen gets it 100% and is able to execute it just absolutely stunningly. Carmen, Carmen is one of the finest artists in comics. Uh, I, I have no uh, bones about just saying it outright. Like I, I, I don't think there's a thing she can't make beautiful. Um, and every issue we have worked to push her and um, 
engage her and give her more wild, interesting, cool ways to tell um, story with us. And uh, with every issue, I think we we learn a little bit more about uh, how outclassed we are. I mean, she's just <laughs> uh, absolutely incredible. And when you see what she is learning to do with action um, on this book, uh, which there's some teases of it in issue one, mm-hmm. but issue two uh, is the first time I think she really just unloads and shows you what she can do with a with a spread. Um, we're developing a new action language that is specific to Sentinel of Liberty, um, and which I think, you know, if there's any justice in the world, will become iconic for the character uh, through Carmen's lens. I, I really just think it's uh, we are we are deeply deeply lucky to be doing this book with Carmen. Uh, she is the reason it works. Like without without her emotional beautiful take on steve and her mastery of action and world building uh the crazy swings we're trying to take would never land and the entire book hangs so much on steve as we pointed out not captain america you know you need to be able to have steve look wistfully out of a window and think about his long lost love and that's a very hard expression for someone to nail unless acting is one of your key components of your art and carmen's acting is gosh darn beautiful um <laughs> uh yeah the the uh the thing that uh i i also just want to sort of shout out there's really not been a um a long history or tradition of female artists drawing steve rogers um his core book has almost never been drawn uh certainly as an ongoing uh, stature has almost never been drawn by a woman uh carmen brings i think because we are seeing this book through a female gaze a completely different vibe on Steve. I think her Steve is informed by a sensitivity and a, a, a sort of, sensuality is a weird word to bring to Steve Rogers, but there is something very attractive about her Steve, both like physically, but also just like soulfully. Yeah, emotionally. Um, and he I think he. she really brings that forward. I don't want to like attribute that to her gender, but I think it's, it's, it is interesting to see how much that comes through. Um, from Carmen's pen. So speaking of that, um, you know, sensuality and, and lost loves and things like that. Um, I, I read where, when the two of you r- write together, sometimes the difference is, uh, is that Colin likes to bring sex into the story and uh, Jackson doesn't really think about it much, you know, maybe a little romance. Uh, so wow, I, I, that is a deep cut reference to one of our re- interviews. You have done I, your work, my I've friend. Done, I, 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 I tried to, I try to come prepared. Uh, so with Sharon Carter, quote unquote, called away on secret business. Mm. Did, did Jackson went out here or, or is Colin going to sneak in a booty call for Steve and, and maybe like Diamondback shows up? Uh, we can neither confirm nor deny these <laughs> things. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, does the, the this Sharon, is a wildly. Go ahead. Oh, the Sharon, the Sharon not showing up yet, being off on a mission. That is, that has nothing to do with this. We had too many players on the board, and we needed Sharon gets to wait in the wings. We've assured Sharon stands on the internet that she's coming. We love her. She'll be around. We're just going to take a bit uh, before she shows up. Um, but yes, an ironically timed question. But I will say. Please go. Yeah, ahead. ironically time question um given what we just wrote. That what what I will say is um we have a plan for Sharon that really doesn't have to do with her romantic connection to Steve. 
you've said, you know, the new series won't be great ascents, right? You, 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 you guys mentioned that. Um, but we did get treated to Roger Aubrey. Uh, oh, yes. The, the former invader, uh, the destroyer, mm-hmm. um, and someone wearing his uniform in present day. Mm-hmm. Can we expect maybe more blast from Cap's past, uh, you know, in this series? Uh, what we can say is that uh, we are very aware of Cap's past and we absolutely love it, specifically because he is, um, as we mentioned, he's part of the greatest generation. And that relationship, those relationships are uh, incredibly important to him. He is looking backwards as much as he is existing in the present. So, yes, we are absolutely going to see um, some elements of his past coming back 100 percent uh roger aubrey in particular was a character that we just really loved and we wanted to give him someone who not just knew him as a man but also knew him as a hero uh to kind of give him a counterpoint to speak to uh so once we kind of lensed in on the idea of who roger was going to be and how we were going to use him uh we found a very vibrant place in the story for him the other thing there is that it this was being a story about legacy and being a story that encompasses a century of history. It felt important to not leave Steve on an island as far as um, dealing with those uh, uh, concerns um, uh, stretched. And so uh, when you look at the invaders, you know, Namor's got a lot on his plate, um, especially given all of his engagements with the... Um, the current uh, run with uh, with Avengers, and obviously there's a, a pretty extensive um, run with with uh, Human Torch recently on Iron Man. The Invaders have gotten a lot of um, exposition lately, uh, and it felt like time to show one that hadn't been seen for a bit and really give him uh, his own space. Um, Roger is a character with uh, some really interesting history. Obviously, is, is well connected to the original. Uh, destroyer as they were um, as they were lovers and uh, is in that way one of Marvel's earliest canonical gay heroes he's also Stan Lee's first uh, original Marvel superhero uh, destroyer and uh, in all those respects he felt like a character who really deserved to be here uh, and have his voice heard in um, in this story in particular so uh, that was a just a uh, a sort of a dream come true for us because it's been a character that we've always wondered like could you do something with destroyer especially given the the um the wide-ranging conversations that um our society's been having about anti-fascism which is um destroyer's whole thing uh so it felt like you know he's he's the sort of militant anti-fascist of all of them um he you know he's i think the first guy who has almost that uh frank castle steve rogers relationship where it's like you might go a little further than steve would uh and that might uh kind of throw steve for a loop and that felt like a really fun engagement to play with uh with destroyer as we move forward i want to thank you for for bringing him back because um i really didn't know much about him so after reading the first issue uh it really piqued my interest and i went back and, and you know did some some research on him so um so thanks for doing that i i, I and, and i course. look forward to more characters and and listen I'm a lifelong cap reader, right? Uh, you know, from from the '60s to now. But you start pulling these these older characters, and uh, guys like me even still are like, "Who?" So thank you. For <laughs> oh, that feels that oh. feels great. You're very welcome. So, so let's talk about Bucky a little bit. You brought him up, um, and and this is a Steve series, right? But you you've made it very clear Bucky's going to be a central piece to the story. 
And, yeah. and, and so when we spoke uh, with Alana, she, she said she felt there was not enough time for post Bucky breaking his brainwashing and Steve to be together. Um, and she, she said that she kind of mentioned this to you guys and you both were enthusiastically on board. Why are you interested so much um, about Bucky and, and what can we expect, you know, how much of this story is going to be him? So Bucky is, so Colin and I kind of have a history ever since Hacktivist, our very first book together, of writing about male friendship. Um, we're doing it again right now in Aquaman Flash Void Song, um, which is sort of our story about um, friendship within marriages. Uh, that's really a story about like two white guys as we are two white guys. And we really wanted to like write about that. And, uh, you know, we, we try to find these places to talk about ourselves within the context of these stories and make it personal to ourselves. Um, and so obviously, uh, caustic and collaborative male friendship is a thing that we are very well versed in. It's a thing we understand. It's a thing that we live. And we so we can really write what we know um, when it comes to that. Even if we don't know what it's like to be a super soldier, we know what it's like to have a best friend and be in a disagreement. And so um, this felt like a really great opportunity to just vibe in on that immediately. That's number one. Number two is we were giant fans of the Brubaker run. I just love that run. It is iconic. It is definitive for me. I think that run is uh, an all-timer as far as Captain America is concerned. But my one bone to pick with it has always been that the, I, I think that the Cosmic Cube, and I understand why it was done this way. This isn't really a criticism at all of Ed, um, who I hold in the highest esteem. Um, it's simply a matter of like the pace of superhero comics, especially in the era. Uh, it, the way that Bucky came back from his brainwashing wasn't um, in the way that people who say have gotten into the character through the MCU uh, recognize. In the MCU, he's gone through an enormous amount of redemption. He's gone through a whole step out. He had a whole six hour series about dealing with it. Um, in the comics, he was... Uh, unsnap brainwashed by the cosmic cube in a Just moment in a moment became bucky again and effectively didn't have his memories as the winter soldier anymore and so then whenever he discovers something that he did as the winter soldier there's never really a question of like oh did bucky do that it's like oh that's a thing that the winter soldier did and like bucky gets to be a little bit scot free from that we have been very invested in the idea of turning that around and making bucky look at that like look at the thing he does not want to look at and recognize that that was him. And what that means is understanding that the Winter Soldier is maybe not as simple a story as we've been led to believe it is. And that maybe there are um, uh, roots of that that go deeper, that connect to Bucky earlier in his life, and that connect to Captain America earlier in his life. Uh, roots that we started to see in the Bucky one-shot uh, in Devil's Reign. Mm. Um, so if you read that, you can really see the initial steps that we're going to be taking on that. And then um, by issue six of Sentinel Liberty, I think you'll have a very clear idea um, of the next steps that we are taking in Bucky Barnes's story. But he just felt like a character who was absolutely ripe to step into a new life because he's tried to be a father, say, to RJ. And he's tried to be a partner to uh, Sam. And he's tried to be a uh, sort of espionage assassin. He tried to be an alien prince for a while. He's tried to be all kinds of things. And none of it's ever stuck because he because he doesn't have a mission and he doesn't really know who he is without a mission. And so yeah. we wanted to finally give him a mission that took him a place that he couldn't easily disengage from and really had to like stress test that character and push him uh, to a further place. So, And it's at the core, it's a story about trauma. 
Um, you know, he has so much unexamined trauma because it magically got waved away. Similar to like, oh, well, you have real bad depression. Welcome to Lexapro. Well, Lexapro is great. <laughs> it certainly fixes your problems, but it doesn't solve your problems. You're treating the solution. You're treating the symptoms, but not the cause. So we really felt like it was time to start looking at at the cause of this stuff and really look at who he is as a man in the same way that Steve needs to take off the mask and look what it means to be Steve Rogers. Bucky, unfortunately, all he wants to do is wear the mask, but he can't, he is stuck with being James Buchanan Barnes. Well, you know, you mentioned the, the devil's reign winter soldiers one shot. Um, I, I want to give a plug on that. I mean, please, you know, for everybody out there who hasn't read it, um, check it out. Uh, I, I thought it was fascinating that, Bucky and Wilson Fisk were basically fighting each other while one was sleepwalking and the other one was daydreaming. Mm. Uh, that, that just, that, that was brilliant. I, I, you guys probably can't tell me who came up with that, but it was brilliant. It was a joint effort. Yeah. G- genuinely. Um, we were, we were separated at the time. So we came up with that one um, remotely. I was, uh, I was with my, my in-laws in Massachusetts and the challenge came our way. We were both, um, voraciously reading Chip's Daredevil run and wanted to do something that that lived up to the promise of that run um, and his characterization of Wilson uh, Fisk, who is obviously just like such an iconic character. And so I think we started talking a lot about what we needed out of Bucky moving into Sentinel Liberty because we already knew, we'd, we'd written the first issue of Sentinel Liberty before we wrote that. So we knew where we were taking Bucky Got and it. we were like, all right, now that we know where we're taking Bucky, let's figure out how we can step it there and 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 fill in um, some of this so that, they're, so that somebody isn't totally blindsided by where we're going. Um, and so I, I think that issue is, uh, I, I second your recommendation, not because I think the issue is, is you know, great, though I, 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 I do, but like that's very egotistical, <laughs> um, but because uh, it is core to the book. I, like I hope it is collected in our trades because it is, I think, fundamentally important to the, um, to the story that Bucky is going through. Uh, in this, in these stories, and without it, you're going to be missing a core element of uh, of Bucky's journey. Yeah, I would say that's like the Bucky Barnes zero issue. If Captain right. America zero is the Cap zero issue, I'd say that's the Bucky Barnes zero issue. Um, yeah, I, I want to, uh, Colin. There's a quote from um, an interview with with the Geek Network, and I want to I want to talk about this because I think as Steve fans and as as him being the moral exemplar. I want to just read this quote. It says, uh, where, where are the people who are supposed to be saving us? And the truth of the matter is we have to be those heroes. I'm not going to run out there with a cow because I'm not the knight. I'm a writer. We all do what we can do. The weapon in our tool belt is telling stories that can inspire and that can illuminate and can maybe show people a path forward, even if it's couched in a super rad shield thrown by a handsome blonde man. That's what we want to do, and that's what we were, where we want to bring our stories. So, can you can you speak a little bit more about that and how you view comics as, as not just entertainment, but a medium for inspiring, informing, educating, and maybe even you know call to action? Oh my goodness, absolutely. Um, this is really the core of why we do this. Um, you know. Jack and I didn't come to this town being LA, being Hollywood to um, make fluff. Like you come here because you care about stories 
compassionately and not just telling them it because inevitably somewhere in your life, a story has had a transformative impact in your life. Um, we need to, our passion is to tell those stories to try and facilitate that change, not just in terms of emotionality. Like we desperately want to help um, young people find a voice. We want to help people realize more about themselves through our work. But also uh, the country is on fire and every day we are looking at things that um, are terrifying and things that really shake the core of our beliefs. Uh, and it is incredibly important that if we can use this work to especially uphold Captain America's ideals, like Steve Rogers is frankly who we should all be trying to be. So by showing him in this light and kind of by holding him up, we really hope that we can tell a human story that people realize that he is not just a, not just a flag, not just a symbol, but an actual man making the choices that we can make every single day. It's corny as hell, but we can all carry the shield. And that's something that we think is really important. It's why we put it right there in the first issue. Um, the shield is, it's emotion. It's in our hearts. It's, it's what we can strive to be. And hopefully through showing that demonstration that it's not Cap's powers that make him a good man. It's just his damn heart that makes him a good man. We will show people that this is something um, we, can all, we can all utilize. This isn't a superhero ability. It's a human ability. All right, guys, it's time I showed you this. Um, so uh, Bob and I made, because we have a, a Facebook group. We have like over 4,000 Cap fans over there. And so we made these challenge coins. And so oh, uh, nice. on one side, you have Cap Shield. And I don't know if you can see the attributes there, but uh, these are different uh, characteristics. Oh, courage. But yeah, here's man. the best part. Ready? What would yeah. Cap do? Oh, love it. What would Cap uh, do, my dude? Yep. So, so we want to send these to you guys for, for being oh. guests on the show. So uh, we'll, we'll get with I, that. I will cherish it. Yeah, amazing. Um, uh, and, 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 gen and genuinely, it's a question that we ask ourselves all the time. I, I had a recent thing. I'm not going to go into like the whole story, but I had this recent experience where like I had a guy in, uh, in a social situation. Like I was in with a bunch of my friends and there was like a new guy and he was acting really weird and was like doing some kind of hurtful stuff to people that I liked. Um, and it was in the middle of like a party and it was everyone, you know, it, it was, it was a very like um, sort of like joyous scenario. And I didn't want to like crap on anybody's time, but at the same time, I was like really put off by the way he was acting and um, felt like somebody did, needed to like say something and do something. And I literally had a, like, what would cap do moment where I, I was like, I was like, I went to my wife and I was like, should I do something? And she was like, she was like, do what you feel is right. And I was like, well, what I feel is right is Steve Rogers. So what does Steve Rogers do in this scenario? And I was like, cool, that's what I do. And I went, and it was not like I turned in a big fight. I, I took the guy to the side and I was like, I want I, I want you to understand what you're doing. And it wasn't, we, again, we didn't get into a big fight. We didn't do a thing. He actually was like, oh, I, thank you for stopping me. And I was like, cool, man. And then we like walked away. And it was like a totally non-toxic environment um, and like experience. And I, I blame Steve. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird. You hear about that, like Grant Morrison, like totemic. Oh, I like commune with the soul of Batman. And I've mm -hmm. always thought that that was like a little overwrought. And then I went through it then. And I was like, no, I communed with the soul of Steve Rogers. Like, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, like, that, sure. That's what we I live by. That's, yeah, man. Yeah. Right. The, um, all right. So one last question for me. Um, our listeners are obviously cap diehards, right? Um, that said, not all of them read current cap comics, right? No, so they should. I know. Gasp. Right. So, so like, like now is like, the time to start. 
almost two thirds of our listeners are in that 45 to 59 year old range, right? So, uh-huh. so some of them are gonna be like, yeah, like if it, 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 if it came out in the last 10, 20 years, it doesn't compare to what I love growing up. So what do you say to those listeners? Why should they try this series? And, and trust me, up until this point, if, if, they not, if they're not compelled now after listening to you guys, I don't know what will, but, but, but here's your last shot. So I, I've got a, I don't know that this cuts the mustard, but here's my genuine response whenever anybody's like, why take a chance on a Jackson Collin book? Um, why read a hive mind book at all? Because we are trying. We are trying hard. We are caring about this a lot. We are working hours and hours and hours to bring something to the table that is new and that is fresh. We are not always going to succeed. We are often going to overwrite. We are often going to throw too many concepts on the table. There's going to be a lot of Jackson and Collins stuff all over this stuff. And you're going to, and and that's just because we're here and we have ideas and we want to bring stuff to the table. But we are going to try. We are going to, for lack of a better word, we're not even going to try. We're going to do. And we are going to make it happen for those fans. We aren't doing that for us. This isn't an exercise in ego. This is an exercise in bringing stories that are worth your time and money to the table because there is nothing I hate more than picking up a comic and being like, man, I just spent $4 on something that effectively told me a story I've heard a hundred times. We are going to tell you a story you have not heard a hundred times. I know it might seem like there's a secret in the shield. Sounds like a story that you've heard a hundred times. I guarantee you, you haven't heard this one because I've read every Captain America comic that's ever been published. I can guarantee you they've never told this story. Um, we are we are trying. We are passionate. Um, and if you don't like a word that you've heard from us on this podcast, at least take our word. You can even take your eyes word for the fact that Carmen Carnero is one of the greatest artists to ever touch this character. And you could just ignore the words and read the book for <laughs> Carmen's art and it would yeah. be gorgeous. She's um, just it. some beautiful, beautiful Captain America art. I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but like genuinely, even after issue one, you have no idea. Wait until you see what she's doing. She's, it, every issue just blows our mind. But I also think that the point of this is that we knew that those readers are out there. And the point of this run is, yes, it's new ideas, it's new concepts, but they're built on the bones of 100 years of history. So those fans who have already read so much Captain America, they're the ones who are going to get the most out of this book because they're going to understand the legacy that he is trying to uncover, that he is trying to wrap his his head around. I'm like, this is, it's great for new Captain America readers, 100%. It's great for folks who just maybe just got started with um you know united states of cap or tanahasi coats run but for the diehards you are going to see stuff that is that that ha- will have the more casual fans scratching their head and which you will say holy shit i can't believe those madmen did it <laughs> all right i'll hold you to it um <laughs> okay. right. we're, we're gonna do a, a a 60 second quick spin quick answers right these are some right. questions Lightning round Questions round, for some go. of our listeners. All right. Um, yeah. Ash Barnes, not a real name, but she loves Bucky Barnes. Right. Um, we, she we, says, I, I know Ash from Twitter. Okay. She said, we've had two Ventolin mentions now from Bucky. So that was Devil's Reign and uh, issue number one. Should we expect yeah. to see her at all in the future? No. Uh, we, 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 all of which is to say, I think Alesh's Cots, I think Alesh Cots take on Bucky Barnes, him and Marco Rudy, 
Um, I think that their take on Bucky Barnes is stellar. I think it's magic. It changed my life. It re it made me rethink the way that I thought about trauma and violence and all that kind of stuff. Um, it made me rethink what I thought about Bucky Barnes. And I really want to hold that forward in this book. That book is very personal to me. Um, but Ventolin's story has been told. It's what Bucky learned through his relationship with Ventolin that needs to get examined and move forward now. So um, the story is not about uh, and, and nor is our concern about getting Ventolin and Bucky back together at all. This isn't really like a shipping situation. It's that that was a, a really key and core scenario for his progress as a man. The idea that the lost glove is happy is Bucky in a nutshell, man. I think it's just art, <laughs> high art. So I, we wanted to pay tribute to it. Colin, does he know what rapid fire means? I'm sorry, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. This is the hive mind. All right. Um, Aaron Paul asks, RJ Boyle from Winter Soldier and The Natural from Falcon and Winter Soldier. Will we, will we see any of these in this series? No. Okay. No. Uh, I love, what, I, again, love them. No plans for them. What happened between Bucky's cat, Alpine, and Misty? You're going to explore that at all? Because I saw, I saw something on Twitter about, about, five pages of, of Alpine's buddy, belly getting rubbed. Teehee. Uh, we got a lot of Alpine. We got a lot of Alpine plot coming. That's, he's a secret core of the entire thing. He's got all those, she, no, I don't. She, 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 <laughs> oh, female cat. Apologies, uh, apologies. Uh, but no, uh, uh, I can't tell you what happened between Alpine and Misty. Can tell you that Alpine is weirdly core to this book. Uh, we can't help ourselves. We love cats. Uh, Joshua Van Dyne asks, of all the cap writers that came before you, do you have a favorite? It's Grunewald or Brubaker for me. With, uh, with, Mar with Mark Wade easily sitting in that, uh, in that third spot. Uh, yeah, actually, same. Uh, Grunewald stuff was kind of what I, what I cut my teeth on as a fan. I, I have a massive soft spot for it. I think it's totally rad, but I mean, it's really hard to point to anything better than Winter Soldier. Awesome. Last one. Uh, Capman. Um, he, and I'll just read this comment because uh, he and I agree there's a difference between uh, super soldier and superhero and which one we prefer. We'll leave it at that. He said, I just read the first issue and the part where Cap blocks Bucky's kill shot made my heart sing. Um, my question is the research you did um, basically getting into the historian uh, obviously you did a lot of research on cap comics but with steve being from the new deal era how much of history did you kind of look into as far as the that type of thing as well uh great question actually history and weirdly prescient and a great one to end on history is incredibly important to our story when i'm talking about uh tiptoeing through the um the raindrops of history we're not just talking about cap continuity we are talking about the history of the of the last century um we feel strongly like obviously steve is a soldier and i think that's one of the important things to remember is like he kills he has killed before. Sometimes that is unfortunately the end result of saving the day, um, but it's never his first choice. And I think that duality between what Bucky is willing to do and what Cap praise would never has to be done is going to be core moving forward for us. Perfect. I, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, a thousand percent. Um, I, I would say that just we're giant history buffs, and I think 
it's not like we got Captain America and then we're like, shoot, we better learn about 20th century history. We, <laughs> we are big history nerds um, and getting a chance to invest that into a book uh, was a real dream come true for us. So I think that's just a place where we're a really nice fit, ideally, for the material, certainly a nice fit for our own pitch. So we, we talked about uh, Aquaman and Flash, Void Song. What else is keeping you busy nowadays? Any other projects coming up that you guys want to uh, kind of let the listeners know? Who They read this and they go, wow, we love this writing. Where else can we get more uh, of Jackson and Colin? If, if you're loving Captain America, you should check out Batman Beyond Neo Year over at DC Comics. Uh, really, really proud of that book. We are three issues in. Um, it's another book where like you don't need to have ever read a Batman Beyond book or even have seen the cartoon to like get in on our take. Our take is a fresh start. It's building on new stuff. Um, it's building on a big status quo change uh, from Batman Urban Legends number seven. So I recommend if you if you can find that issue and then find um, Neo Year. We're about halfway through that run. It's going to be pretty great. Um, and sales have been pretty killer. So I hope to be able to say like, we, we'll be doing more. We'll see. Um, and we have a bunch of secret stuff that we're doing that I can't talk about yet. Uh, Pretty soon it has been announced, folks, uh, over also at the, uh, the Noble Competitor, they're doing a run called uh, One Bad Day, where each villain is getting a uh, almost killing joke sized, oversized story. Um, and we are doing an out, <laughs> we are doing an outstanding story. Uh, we are doing, uh, uh, ours, is about, ours is about Clayface, and it's one of the Ooh. most personal uh, works we've done in a long time. Clayface, obviously an actor. Uh, we are in Hollywood here, surrounded by actors. And frankly, we know the pain of rejection incredibly well. So we're pouring a lot of personal history uh, and pain into that story. If folks dig our particular brand of tragedy, they will be over the moon for it. When does that come out? February of next year. Okay. All right. That's going to be a while out um, with art by Hermenico. It's going to be something else. I'm really, really, really proud of uh, of that story. And it was really painful to write. So that's generally when you know it's something solid. Uh, And then if you want to try something totally freaking different from us that you can get at your local store, uh, we have a a creator-owned uh, book called Joyride that is our like classic work at this point it's 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 a few years old uh, but we did it with Marcus Toe who's on Excalibur so if you're a uh, and, and now Shang-Chi so if you're a Marvel fan and you like what Marcus Toe does and you like what we do you should check out Joyride it's like 12 issues of punk rock teenage Star Trek it's about a bunch of teenagers who steal a spaceship and run away and try to never come back it is um, just a, a, a total joy uh, uh, no pun intended um, and uh, means a lot to us. So if you like what we're doing on Cap, you might very well like your Red. Is that like collected in a trade paperback? Is that- it is? Yeah, there's there are three trade paperbacks from Boom uh, that you can uh, that you can get. They are bright yellow, bright orange, and bright pink. They're very easy to find. It's so also, um, um, you can also find them on Comixology, I believe. Yeah, uh, and Amazon. But also uh, what we point out is especially to uh, those, uh, the readers who maybe in the, uh, you know, the 45 to 55 demographic, uh, I'm going to bet they like Star Trek. Uh, (laughs) Oh yeah. You guys wrote, you wrote some, some books, right? And if, oh yes, my friend. Yep. So if anyone out there is a Star Trek fan, they're, they're jonesing for some classic Kirk Spock bones content. Uh, Our run on Star Trek year five, that's four issues takes place over the last year of the 25 20, issues. 25 issues. What I say? 12? That's silly. I think you said four. 
<laughs> it's late. Um, it's uh, 25 issues. It's the last year of the five-year mis- mission as the, tr- as the Enterprise comes home. Some of the work that we are most proud of. The only thing we love more than Captain America is Star Trek. Uh, so in both cases here, we're just absolutely pouring our, our, our good, gracious everything. And that's um, and that's with Jim McCann and Brandon Easton and Jody Hauser and uh, Paul Cornell. Like we had just a murderer's row of amazing um, writers who came in and, and did that writers room with us. Uh, we were the showrunners on that book, quote unquote. Um, it was a, it was a real blast. So yeah, that's you like us on Cap. Go find all of those books. They're all great. I promise. And, and what are the best ways for for fans to follow you? I'm on Twitter at Jackson Lanzen and on uh, Instagram at Found in the Wild. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at CP Kelly. Awesome. Well, listen, guys, it has been a, a real joy, rapid cap with you guys. I, I read the first, I mean, I read zero. I read the first issue as a, as a huge Steve fan. I am so excited for this series. Um, I love the mm-hmm. fact that you guys are, 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 it's Captain America. It's Steve. It's both. Um, I have a lot of faith in, in what's coming ahead. So um, you, you got a big fan on my side and I know listeners are going to love it. Awesome. Thank, well, thank you very, very much. Thank Excellent. you so much. And we hope to, uh, we hope to be back in six months to talk about what happened after issue six. We'll see <laughs> if you still love us. See if you still like us after issue six. All right. All right. All to right. It. It's a date. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for having us. This was a great, very thoughtful conversation. It's clear you, you know, your your love for Cap shines through. And um, yeah, we hope you continue to enjoy the run. Really, thank you very much. Excellent. All right, thanks, guys. Right. Take it easy, right. man. Bye bye. All right. Well, that was a really fun conversation, and so looking forward to what Jackson and Colin have planned for this series. Uh, if you haven't checked out issue number one, uh, I highly advise you pick it up. And then issue two comes out today uh, on the day that this uh, episode launches on July 6th. So uh, rush out to your your local comic book shop and make sure you pick up issue two today uh, as the the story continues. And then come back next Wednesday uh, for episode 92. Uh, Bob will be back and we actually have another guest on the show, uh, Cap fan James Foley who uh, is on to talk uh, as we go through the next part in our Captain series. Uh, This will be Captain Part 3, which covers Mark Grunewald and Kieran Dwyer's Captain America 342 through 344, which is a really fun story featuring Viper and the Serpent Society uh, and Ronald Reagan as a reptile. It's a super long episode, as you can probably imagine. But you know what? It's summertime sit by the pool, sit in a chair, go to the beach, go on vacation, take a long trip. Uh, You've got cool Captain America stories to keep you company. All right, that's going to do it for me. This is Rick Verbana signing off. And thanks so much for listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. 